I've shared with you a little bit of my ice cream shop days, but I worked at an ice cream shop in high school. That was my job, and uh, it was a great job making whatever minimum wage was, five fifteen, I think it was at that point in time. So you're making five fifteen to do your thing, closing up the coffee shop, eating lots of apple pie uh, and cinnamon ice cream, gaining a good bit of weight. Uh, but the, the cool thing about the job, I mean, it, high school was the time where like, the, the gospel became very real. And, and I was like, wow, this is real stuff. Like, this isn't just something you've heard. This matters. And so what would I do? I would start to, to if people were talking about it, I'd start to talk about it. Because you're closing up, and it's an ice cream shop, right? I mean, who's going to an ice cream shop when it's 40 degrees outside? We're open. We made coffee, but, you know, it's ice cream. And I do remember this customer. I probably shared about her before, but I, I was standing there. And again, you're kind of new to church life, whatever else, but you're, you're all that. You know everything. Um, and, and she would ask me this question. You know, I'd go, yeah. I'd say, yeah, I'm a Christian. Uh, and she'd go, well, but are you born again? Right? I'm like, I don't even know what words we're using anymore. Like, yeah, I guess so. No, but are you born again? I'm like, well, I don't know. Me? I don't know the difference between being a Christian and being born again. But in, in her mind, there was a difference. There was a being a Christian, and then there was being born again. Now, without going down every theological rabbit trail that that statement might bring, I can say that sometimes our words get confusing, and our phrases get confusing. They'll go, is this a spirit-filled church? And I'm like, well, yeah, it is. Uh, but maybe not the way you're thinking, right? Uh, like, like, you know, because I don't know what you're thinking. But I know what I think you're thinking, right? Like, is this a spirit? Are you, are, is everybody at your church born again? I'm like, well, no, but I don't know what you mean. But no, right? We have kids. We have unbelievers who show up. No, we're not all born again. What do you mean? You're spirit-filled? You're born again? Are you apostolic? I'm like, I, stop using words, right? Like, I don't, know, I don't know these words. Well, lucky for us, this isn't the only time people get confused about words, because in this interaction in John 3 between Jesus and Nicodemus, they're rather confused about words. They're confused about words and they're confused about what God is doing. Now the interaction with John chapter, in John 3 with Nicodemus covers more than just 1 through 15. But I think that 1 through 15 does cover the actual Nicodemus and Jesus back and forth. I think John 16... The for God so loved the world part that we all know. Uh, John 16 through 21. I think that actually is John the author's commentary on John 1 through 15. Right? I think that's why it stands out. Right? Because Jesus often calls himself the son of man. He doesn't, he doesn't just call himself the one and only son. I think John is, is making a comment on the interaction that Jesus and Nicodemus had just had. Because he does it right there again at the end of chapter 3. After John the Baptist says something. He comes and makes another comment. And so they kind of have these two comments added in. At the end of these interactions, because remember, John's writing after the sending of the Spirit. He's writing after the establishment of the church. All that stuff that he's writing has already happened. And so a couple times, it seems like he's coming in and he's offering his, his understanding on what really is going on. He's, he's bringing significance and weight to that interaction. So John 1 through 15 is what I would argue is the actual interaction between Jesus and Nicodemus. That's what we get. So we'll do that today and we'll get John's further comment on it next week. John's interaction with Nicodemus is interesting because Nicodemus, 
like many people, is like the elder. He's the smart one in the room. He's the, he's the leader in the assembly. He's known as a religious leader. He kind of has that part of his life together. He's sharp, and clearly in their little Sanhedrin meetings, their, their, their leadership meetings, there would be, you know, the meeting after the meeting, there would be conversations about this guy Jesus in their meetings, and it seems like there was some group of them who thought that Jesus was someone to be listened to. He was someone to be considered. And so what we're going to have is this interaction where Nicodemus, this leader, comes to Jesus at night. Now remember, at night in the Gospel of John, darkness and light is a common theme. So, so it's likely that, he's come, right, that Nicodemus, even John saying, is coming under this like shroud of misunderstanding about who Jesus is. But he's still trying to figure that out. Now, we don't actually know the conclusion of John 3 in the moment. We do know that Nicodemus is present. He's a part of Jesus' burial. And so we do know that at some point in time, Jesus was significant enough for him that he was going to put some skin in the game, not just have a conversation by night. Joseph of Arimathea was one of those as well. They would probably talk about Jesus and the Lord working in those interactions. So what we have today in this passage is Jesus interacting with Nicodemus. Nicodemus is confused, and Jesus does not help him. Now what Jesus says is clarifying, but how Nicodemus is understanding it is, What? I don't know what you're saying. It's like when the person goes, this is a spirit-filled church, and you go, I don't know what you mean. So Jesus uses this word born again, but born again can also mean born from above. What do you, which one is it? John, is, John likes to let us linger in some of those things. It's both, born from above and born again. Right? Like, like John is not always going to be the one to let us just kind of go, oh, this is clearly what it means. He has times where born, from, born again and born from above both, both matter, both are significant here. But Nicodemus is like, whoo. I don't understand what's going on. So let's get into this. Nicodemus, as who we're going to be introduced to first, is a man who is confused about what it means to be born again. In the first eight verses, the first paragraph, that's what we see. A man from the Pharisees named Nicodemus, who was a ruler of the Jews, he came to Jesus by night, and he goes, like anybody does, oh, we know you're a teacher come from God. For no one can do the signs that you do unless God is with him, which is already an interesting interaction. Because he's not going, we know you come from God because of what you say. We know you come from God because we've been waiting for the Messiah and now we know. It's we know you come from God because you do cool things. Right? Just like at the end of John chapter 2, it goes, Jesus did not trust himself to man because he knew what was in man. Even though people were believing in him because of the signs that they did. Now you get this zoomed in interaction where you get a man named Nicodemus who is interested in Jesus because of the signs that he does. Now, very often, isn't that right? It's not necessarily the fact that Jesus is the Messiah that begins to draw us in. It could be that the Christians around you are kind. It could be that, that there's something interesting at the church or the teaching, right? It, very often, we're not like, oh, you know what? Jesus is the Messiah. We're like, we don't wake up saying that, right? So it's something else about Jesus that is alluring, and it's kind of one more, you know, one more move in. It's like, right, now we're in here. And then there's, there's teaching. Nicodemus is like, I'm not sure what that means, right? But then later on, right? And it's kind of these movements toward conversion. I, I've had that. I'm sure you, many of you have too. Where it's like, well, I didn't just kind of go all in. I learned something about God. And I learned something else about God. So Nicodemus is coming at him going, I think you're from God because you're doing stuff. But that's not going to be, incom- that's not going to be complete for salvation. 
to think Jesus is cool because he does stuff. So he goes, so God's with you. Now then look, Jesus answered him. He didn't ask a question. He just made a statement. Right? So, so Jesus, Jesus is anticipating what's, what's going on. Right? He knows where it's headed. I had this funny text message conversation with one of my kids this week. He goes, uh, the LSU game is on. It's a basketball game, right? LSU basketball game is on. I said, are you asking me something? Because it was late at night. It was probably 8 o'clock. It's a school night. I said, are you asking me something? He said, I don't know what you mean. He goes, Sharif O'Neal is doing well. That's Shaquille O'Neal's son, Shaq of LSU Lore. So we have this interaction where I'm like, where are you going with this? What do you want? Are you asking me if you want to stay awake? He said, uh, well, I, kind of, but really I just wanted you to know. I was like, okay, well, right? Because you're anticipating where somebody's going with what they're saying. And that's exactly what Jesus is doing. But he gives them this weird interaction. He says, I'd say to you, unless one's born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Huh? Like you, Nicodemus goes, we well, got to be born again? Nicodemus doesn't understand it. He's not sure what's happening here. He goes, well, how can, a, how can a man get into his mother's womb and be born again? Right? Why? Because he's doing what all of us do, which is take Jesus at, like, at his word and going, the words you're saying don't make sense to me. The words are you like, but anybody who has seen a newborn baby knows not even that baby is being born again physically. Like it's done, right? You're not going to be able to bend that thing back together and go, here you go, mama. Like it won't happen. And so the Nicodemus is, is doing what he's doing and going, I don't understand what you mean, right? Like, what do you mean born again? Or that idea of being born from above, right? It's a different kind of birth. So Nicodemus is like, how can you go in a second time to be born again? Well, you know, if Nicodemus is in your small group, you just be kind to him. Right? That's all you do. You don't, you don't go, come on, Nick, you should know this by now. Well, Jesus does because he's a leader. So he's going to about to say, you don't know this because Nicodemus has a seat of status. But if, you know, some new person goes, I don't know what this means. Like, what, is, what does this mean that, that Jesus is born again? What does it mean to be born again? Like, just, just roll with it. Okay? But Jesus' interaction with Nicodemus is going to be a little different because Jesus expects Nicodemus to know who he is. And to know the Messiah that is coming. And to be able to connect dots that perhaps, you know, the hoi polloi, as some people say, the common folk, don't quite connect. So, this is the language that Jesus uses. He goes, oh, you have to be born of water and the Spirit. You cannot be born of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of Spirit is Spirit. Don't marvel that I say to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. Now, we're going to get into this in a couple of ways, because there's certain things that are going on where there's a, there's a few questions. First, what kind of birth are we talking about? Right? Like, like water in the Spirit. What does that mean? Well, I think if you asked me for most of my Christian life, I'd go, oh, it means being physically born and spiritually born. I do not think that anymore. I do not think it's talking about being physically born and spiritually born because they're already addressed, the whole idea of this physical birth thing not working out. Right? You can't be physically born and physically born again. So I don't think it's just paralleling, oh, you have to be born once 
to, from your mom and then born a second time from God. Like that made a lot of sense to me for a while. But then as I start to go, well, Jesus is about to get mad at Nicodemus for not connecting some dots. That I do think the new covenant connects. The Old Testament scriptures connect. And so he's going to have, where there's that issue. It could, that, so one, one way to go is, well, it's, it's, your, it's your physical birth and then your spiritual birth. That's what he's talking about. Or it could be your baptism. Some people go, it's your baptism, water and the spirit, right? That you're baptized to identify yourself with Jesus, but then you are also indwelt by God's spirit. And that's what he's talking about. Which you go, yeah, I guess so. But, but there are people probably in this room who would say they are Christians who have not been baptized. I'm not saying that should be the case. I'm just saying that, right, like baptism is not a qualification for being a Christian, the act of being baptized, right? That your salvation comes before that, though your obedience should come after that. And so natural birth, spiritual birth makes some sense to me. The baptism doesn't make as much sense to me, but we got to go back. And this is hard for us because we're all Gentiles. And when you're a Gentile, reading the Old Testament doesn't make as much sense. It's just harder. It's not our history, even though we're grafted in. They're not the stories we grew up hearing and so we kind of we lean into the New Testament. I understand that. So we, we're like, when we're reading something from Ezekiel, we're like, I don't know Ezekiel, right? Because Ezekiel starts, and there's these wheels, and they're spinning, and they're moving around, and you're just like, I don't, whatever. I don't get it. And so that you might even make it to Ezekiel 36 is a small miracle. And if you do, you're kind of going, I don't know what's happening here. So let me give you an idea on what Ezekiel and Jeremiah both promised, which is a new covenant. A new covenant, which is not the way of the old, it's the way of the new. That, that God's people have failed time and time again to do what God had demanded. And so God says, I'm going to do it for you. I'm going to do it for you. I'm going to put my spirit within you. I'm going to give you the law on your heart so that you may walk in my ways. Now, the Christian can pick up right there and go, yes, Jesus, new covenant, got it, right? His broken body, his shed blood, I'm in. I understand that part. But we might not be able to connect what Jesus is saying to Nicodemus here and how it might reach back to Ezekiel. So let me read Ezekiel 36, 25, 26, and 27 to you. Listen to this. Thus saith the Lord, I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleanliness or uncleannesses and from all your idols, I will cleanse you and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. I will remove your heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh and I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and carefully to obey my rules." What do I think is happening here? I think Jesus is going, unless you are born in the new way. And the new covenant language is washing of water, giving of the spirit. Cleansing through water, giving of the spirit. It's a purification imagery, right? That you become cleansed and you have my spirit. So I don't think it's physically born and spiritually born. I think the whole package is talking about what God is doing to save people. Unless you are born again born of water in the spirit, the cleansing that comes from God and the work of his spirit, the regenerating work, then you will not be able to enter the kingdom of God. It requires an, a new work, a different work to be in. 
So he says, that which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of spirit is spirit. What the flesh does is one thing, and what the spirit does is another. Which, again, gives me reason to go, this is talking about spirit, spiritual birth, not physical birth. Like, he's just going, hey, born of flesh is one thing, born of spirit is an entirely different thing. And then he talks about how it works. Well, the wind blows wherever it may. And you hear it sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is everyone who is born of the Spirit. Now, we're going to have more conversation about the Spirit in John chapter 4. John has a lot of pneumatology, a lot of theology about the Holy Spirit. And so what we get here is Jesus essentially saying this. And this is good for us. Jesus is essentially saying this. You don't know where the wind comes from, nor do you know what God is doing. He's saving people. And you can't control it. You shouldn't even try. And yet what have, right, as just religious systems move on, what starts to happen? They become the gatekeepers for how God works. They become the gatekeepers for how God moves. And what Jesus is doing to Nicodemus, who is a gatekeeper for his people, is saying, you can't control the people God makes alive. You can't do it. Right? Because if you had your way here in this room, if we got to pick all the people that God saved, there'd be people in here who should be here who wouldn't be. Right? Like there'd be people God would save and God would would bring alive. It should be shocking to you. And what does become shocking as you read the, the book of Acts is all you guys, all the Gentiles who show up and are brought into what God is doing. In droves. I mean, it's like, I'll believe, I'll believe, I'll believe, right? All these people who, who had never followed God, who were pagan and lost, were having nothing to do with him, worshiping their idols, living their life, doing whatever. All these people are coming to faith, right? And who's mad? The gatekeepers. And it takes a work. It even takes a work for the regenerate ones like Peter to go, this is okay. This is okay. God's, God's doing this. I mean, but if you follow Peter's work, he has to kind of get there too, right? He's over at Simon the Tanner's house. Well, a good Jewish man's not supposed to be around dead animals, but there he is at the Tanner's house. And then, right, Cornelius' people come. He has the vision of the sheet coming down. He's like, I've never eaten anything unclean in my life, right? Like he's trying to tell God, I'm good. I'm a good Jewish man. At this point in time, Peter's regenerate. He's saved. He belongs to the Lord. And yet he's still trying to deal with his past. All of us are. Right? It's not like you, it's like God downloads everything into you the moment of your conversion. It's like, right? Like, oh, I feel totally differently and I believe totally, di- right? You're still always trying to shake that stuff off. Why? With God's truth. How? We look at it, we read it, we discuss it, we go, what's happening here? And the Spirit kind of wrings some of those things out of us. And so, what is Jesus saying to Nicodemus? The wind does what it wants, God does what he wants. Anyone born of the Spirit is born of God. Right? Which makes sense. Born from above. Like God is doing this work. God is doing this work. I cannot control it. You cannot control it. But we can look for it, pray for it, and long for it. There's a famous quote by Blackaby. We've talked about it in an elders' meeting before, but we shared it a little bit this morning at our prayer huddle, which is this See where God is moving. And just join him in it. Right? Like, just, just, just like, where's, where, where is God active? Where is he stirring somebody? And you may not know exactly what that means, but like, maybe somebody in your life is going through some kind of crisis. I mean, crisis at times prepares people to receive things they wouldn't have received four days before. 
Maybe someone's experiencing something that they have not experienced in their life. And you know what that could prepare them for? The gospel message. It's uncontrolled by us. So what I think, what should the, the Christian do reading this? Is go, knowing that God does what God wills. Pray that we would be alert and see where God is moving. And just go, I'll go over there. I'll go do that. I'm going to join in with that. Why? It's much easier to work with God than against God, I promise. So if you just go, I'm in, God, where are we going? Like, it's much easier, right? It's like, it's like cutting against the grain. You don't want to do that. And so where's God active? You don't force God to be active in places that he's not. You can ask for God to be active in places that he's not, absolutely. But if you see God moving in someone's heart, just go after it. Right? Like, but I've been praying this person comes to know the Lord and God's primed me for this one. I'm like, I don't, well, okay, go for that one. Right? I, I don't know why, why, why this one's not where they are, I, but this one seems to be ready to hear what you have to say. Go for it. And it requires in that, us recognizing that, it requires us to just get over ourselves. Right? It requires us to kind of go, you know what, I'll just step out and, I'll, and I'm going to talk to you about Jesus. Because he, he's where life is. And we joke about, we've said before, like, we're not sure how to say it right, or do we get it right, or do we get all the words together, right? Very often, you're going to have an interaction with somebody about the faith, like Jesus is having with Nicodemus, where you go, hey, you really need to trust in Jesus. And they're like, yeah, I get this. Hey, pastor, love what you said. Love that sermon, man. When you said that thing about whatever, it really, really told me that I need to do X, Y, and Z. And I'm like, I didn't say that ever. I didn't use those words. I didn't use that illustration. I didn't say that, right? We have receipts. Like you can go to any certain, like yeah, you can go back and go, well, did I, say, did I say that thing? I'm not sure. And yet for some reason they go, this is what, this is what God told me through what you were saying. And I'm like, well, I had intended to say none of that. All right. So there are going to be people who hear something that they're not hearing something. That's all right. What do you do? You just step into it. This interaction with Jesus was pivotal for Nicodemus coming to faith in Jesus. Right? It even left him kind of going, I don't, even, I don't really get it. Just kind of stands back stunned. Now there's more that goes on here. Because in the same way there's confusion on Nicodemus' part, there's clarity on Jesus' part. Jesus is not unclear. Nicodemus is unclear. Jesus speaks with clarity. We often don't listen with clarity. We bring all our other stuff to it. What is Nicodemus bringing to the table? He's bringing his history. He's bringing his training. He's bringing his meetings. He's bringing all that stuff back. And so he's hit all that Jesus is saying is hitting him through the filter of his life. Same thing happens to you and to me. So often the issue is not an issue of God being clear. It's an issue of us listening to what God is saying. And can we hear him for what he's saying and not what we think he's saying? So what we get in 9 through 15 is a statement of Jesus. Nicodemus is teaching us in 1 through 8. 9 through 15, we really get Jesus teaching us. Nicodemus falls away, meaning, meaning out of the picture. Jesus, he asks a question, and then Jesus goes into a statement, and we don't hear from Nicodemus anymore in this interaction. So in verse 9, Nicodemus says, how can these things be? all you're saying, being born of the water and the spirit, the wind blows where it may, so is anyone born of God. How can these things be? What's happening here? Jesus answers. First, he answers with a rebuke. Are you a teacher of Israel and that you do not understand these things? 
So it's fair to say Jesus had an expectation that those who would lead the nation would lead them in a knowledge of the Messiah. They would lead them to listen to the voice of the Messiah. But that did not happen. Right? So this is a good reminder to us that knowledge alone does not accomplish for us what God will do. Right? Like, could Nicod- did Nicodemus know Ezekiel 36? Yeah, probably knew Ezekiel 36. Valley of dry bones, Ezekiel 37? Yeah, I got it. Like, if, he, if a Christian knows any passage in Ezekiel, it's Ezekiel 36. Like, dry bones, right? Get up, they dance around, they do that stuff. Like, we get that one. So, yeah, did Nicodemus, a, a man of the law, a Jewish leader, did he know Ezekiel 36? Yeah, you could probably bet on it. But did he understand Ezekiel 36? No, and you can probably bet on it. And this is a warning to us, right? Like we go, oh yeah, I read the Bible. I know the Bible. I might want to talk to you every week about our reading plan. You go, I read that thing. I know what's up, right? Yeah, but are we listening? Are we going, God, what is here? What, what, what is going on? And what are you doing? And how does this work? And how do these pieces fit, right? Like, like not just, oh yeah, I read it. Yeah, I know that. Yeah, I've gone to church forever. I'm good, I'm good. It's not what we're looking for. So he gives them this rebuke, which is essentially saying, you should know this. When I say water in the spirit, you should get it, Nicodemus. You should be looking for the new covenant. You should be looking for the Messiah. You should be expecting it. Now, we do get a few. We get Anna from the tribe of Asher. We get Simeon. We get some people in the Gospel of Luke who were anticipating what God was going to do. But we don't get many. We don't get many. So Jesus turns the tables on him. And he says this. We speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. Who's the we? We? I mean, like, is, it, is it Jesus and his disciples? Is it Jesus and his entourage? Like, entourage? Who's the we? Right? If no one's understanding what's going on, then how's he even get a we in there? Well... And Carson says this, I, I do agree, like, like, it makes sense. How does, how does Nicodemus come at Jesus? Oh, we understand that you are a teacher sent from God, right? We, we, we see this in you. I think Jesus just turns it on him and goes, we speak of what we know and what we've seen. We bear witness to what we've seen, but you do not receive our testimony. Like, I'm not going to read Trinitarianism into this as much as cool as that would be. Uh, it just, I think he's just responding the same way Nicodemus came at him. He's going, we speak of things that we know. You don't receive it. You don't receive it. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? Now, again, there's a weird thing. Earthly, heavenly, earthly, heavenly. What? What are earthly things? Jesus doesn't seem to be talking about earthly things and that, being born from above, being born again, water in the spirit. Those aren't earthly as we think about it, right, of the earth. But how are they earthly? They're earthly in the sense that it's what God does on this earth. It's how he moves. So I think what Jesus is saying to Nicodemus is this. If we speak to you about stuff that you can observe God doing, and yet you aren't getting it, how do you expect to talk about the uh, the other things and not understand that? You don't believe about what I'm telling you even now, being born again, being cleansed, like having eternal life. You don't under, you're not following that. So I would look at it as things that God does on this earth, 
not just wind blowing, not just being born, but the way God moves here. If you don't understand how God works here, how will you understand the bigger ways God moves and what he's doing and all that, all that happens? There's a resurrection that's going to be had. Jesus is going to rise. We're going to rise. Right? We, if we can't get the born again part, we're not going to get to the resurrection part. We're not going to get to the, the idea of new heaven and new earth and what's going to happen in that space if we can't understand what God is going to do here and now in this earth that's going to be remade. It's going to be redone. If we, don't, if we don't grab onto that here and what God's doing here, how do we hope to understand what God is doing there? And then we get this statement in verse 13, and I love it, because what Jesus is saying is, I'm your translation. What you need to know, you need to, to look at me for. Because he says this, no one has ascended into heaven, heavenly things, he just said that, right? No one has ascended into heaven Except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. That comes from Daniel. It's Jesus' favorite phrase for himself. He loves to talk about himself as the Son of Man, this ancient person who comes from God. And so what he's saying is, well, no, one, no, one's, no one's ascended into heaven except the one who came to you from heaven. And so what do you hear there? If you want to understand life, you have to understand Jesus. It's the interaction you see between Nicodemus and Jesus. Where Nicodemus is going, I don't understand. And he's like, of course you don't understand. You're not listening to anything that I'm saying. How does this work? I'm so confused. Of course you're confused. You're not looking at me. Right? You're looking at the law. You're looking at the page. You're going, oh, I don't understand this. Right? Like you don't, you don't get it because you're not looking at the source. And Jesus is, is unequivocal about this. If you want to know about life, actually know about life, both how to live it here and what's, what is to come. If you want to know about how to walk with God, you have to look at Jesus. Why? Because he's the one who has come from heaven. The word made flesh and dwelling among us. He is the one who has come. He is the translation of who God our Father is. He is the translator of all matters. And he is essentially all that matters. So now think about where we are. We've moved way past just Nicodemus going, I think you're great, Jesus. And we're in another world right now talking about stuff, right? Jesus has moved that thing. He's moved, the needle has moved so far in the direction of where Nicodemus was not expecting it to go for our benefit because we get to read about it now. Now what Jesus is about to do is explain a story from the book of Numbers to demonstrate that that was just a foreshadowing of the salvation that he himself brings. So what does he do to talk to this leader in the law? He references the law. He references the stories of Israel to try and connect what's going on to who he is. So I'm going to tell you this story because we're going to understand it better if we just kind of hear it. I'm going to tell you what happened in Numbers chapter 21. Essentially, like always, there's grumbling happening. There's grumbling. 
You guys ever grumbled? You ever said something you don't like? You ever just complained about your situation, what you're eating, what you're not eating, the snacks you have, the snacks you don't have, how tired you are, how hungry you are, how thirsty you are, what your parents do and don't do, what kind of church you're a part of, not a part of, how you wish your small group is better than you, or like, like cooler or more engaging, like all those things that we just don't really t- say we feel, but we actually feel all the time, right? Like that kind of grumbling, that's where we are. So here they are in the desert, and they're kind of doing their thing, and they're like, we hate this, right? Like this is the worst. So there's grumbling happening. Shocker. I know many of you, and you grumble too. But what we see here is God going, you know what? Forget it. Forget it. But listen to the way he says forget it. He's going to send snakes down <laughs> to bite the Israelites so they die and he can be done. Now, this happens several times in Moses' ministry toward the nation is where God goes, I'm, I'm, I've had it, Right? We call it an anthropomorphism where God is speaking to Moses in ways that Moses would understand. And so he's like, he's like, I've had it. I'm done. And what does Moses do? He's like, hold on. Like, please don't do this. Like, you've given us promises. you said things. So, so he goes to the Lord and God goes, fine. Here's what you do. I want you to make a snake. I want you to make a snake, fashioned of gold. I want you to put it on a pole and hold it up. Anyone who sets their eyes on the snake will be healed. Huh. Well, well, for you and me, I mean, if I'm bitten by a snake and I want to have my life, what am I going to do? I'm going to find the the serpent that's going to heal me. He's like, I got to look up at that thing. I'm going to look up at that thing. If I have to beat you to it, I'm going to beat you to it. I'm sorry. I want to live. So if you want to live, you look at that snake. You want to have life? You look at that snake. Now, this is what Jesus says in John chapter 3. He does this this for us and for our good. He says, And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Now, let's make some connections here because we're next week going to get into that phrase. For God so loved the world, he gave his only son. Whoever believes in him is not right. But all of it comes on the tail end of this intense interaction between Jesus and Nicodemus about what it means to be born from above or born again. And what Jesus says is, the Son of Man must be lifted up, which is a language that John uses for his crucifixion. He must be lifted up. So whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Now, what are the connections we can make between Numbers and between John 3? The biggest connection we're going to have to see before we get to it being Jesus is this. You may not be bitten by a snake, but you are poisoned by your sin. And you have a serious problem that's going to result in your death. And not just your death, but your separation from God, right? Because your religious status doesn't get you in. The fact that you can quote me some Bible verses doesn't get you in. The fact that you show up on Sunday doesn't get you in. The fact that you're nice and give money, that doesn't get you in either. Wish it did, doesn't. All these things that we might try and do for God to say, I love you, don't work. They don't work. And yet we will still lean on them. We'll still lean on them. Why? Because day after day, hour after hour, this world is preaching at you that if you work hard enough, you get God's reward. 
And that might show up in a new job or in more money or in happiness or in family who likes you. And then the moment that doesn't work right, your whole world gets flipped upside down because it didn't happen like it was supposed to. And so if we lean on our doing of good things and being a good person to say, I thus should be in, then we're not in. Sin is with us and it ends in our death and worse than even that, we are separated from God forever. But all who look on the sun are healed. All who look on the sun are healed. Now here's what happens. The longer we walk in the faith, the longer we go, oh yeah, I know all the Bible verses. I have it all together. I can put everything together theologically. The longer we do that, the harder it becomes for us to realize somebody could just look at Jesus. Like, I doubt there was an Israelite bitten by a snake going, well, what kind of gold is that made of? Right? Like, I'm only going to look at 24 karat. <clears throat> gold, gold, or white gold? What do we got there? What kind of wood do you make that, that stake out of to hold it up, Moses? I want to know. Right? What was the gold before it was a serpent, Moses? Please tell me that. Right? All these, I didn't know I was doing that. They're going, I have a problem and I need, I need salvation. And if I have to look at a snake, I'm looking at a snake. Right? But we do the same thing. We're like, well, hold on. You got to be sure you know all these things about Jesus. I mean, how many things about Jesus did you understand when you put your faith in him? That he saved? Good. Right? Like, that he, that, that he saves. But man, the longer we walk, right, the longer we walk in church life, we become a little more like Nicodemus every day if we're not careful. And we're going, well, hold on. God can't save people like that. God doesn't do stuff like that. God blesses people when they work hard. And you're like, wait a minute, you sound like the lost person. Right, like you just went full circle, but now you've whitewashed it. That's not what Jesus does. Jesus brings and gives eternal life to all who look on him. Remember how we've already talked about how the disciples, Jesus would do things and the disciples wouldn't understand it? Oh, after he rose, then we got it. That means they're walking with him for years going, bro, does anybody want to ask him what that meant? No, I don't want to ask him what that like, like, they didn't get an answer until his resurrection. What did they do? They just kind of shoved that thing down deep going, I don't understand it either, Right? But I'm not going to act like I don't understand it because I'm one of Jesus' followers. You don't have to come to Jesus with every answer. In fact, it's better if you don't. It's just like you, like you don't have to figure all those things out. What do you need to know? You need a Savior and it's Jesus. You need a Savior and it's Jesus. And the Lord works just like he works in the life of Nicodemus. He works out those rough edges for the rest of our life on this earth. Those areas where we struggle and we're stubborn, those areas where we, we stumble and we go, I don't understand what this means. I don't understand how this works. Right? He's gonna work those things out in us, right? So you don't have to get them figured out now to come to, to come to faith later. You come to faith now and you figure them out as you go. Because just as Jesus promises to save, he promises not to leave us. And he stays with us. 
and he still teaches us, and we have his word, and he instructs us, and he molds us. And so he doesn't, he doesn't go, okay, good, you're in, finally, right? Like, we're all in heaven, we're really worried about you. We're glad you're good now. I'm going to move on. No, that's not what the good shepherd does. The good shepherd lays his life down for the sheep. He doesn't leave his sheep, but he helps us. He grows us and he cares for us. So whoever believes in him may have eternal life. We were talking at D group even this morning. I was going, you know, like we're talking about the difference, the different ways that John talks. Because John has some pretty consistent themes. If you read the Gospel of John, if you read First, Second, Third John, if you read the Book of Revelation, uh, he's kind of <clears throat> Revelation's a little fiery. But you got the, you know, John, First, Second, Third John. You kind of see the same guy, right? Like a man who loves God wants you to know God loves you. He wants you to know that that you can have eternal life. Like John doesn't want you to be confused. He doesn't want you to kind of want, leave an interaction with Jesus and go, I don't, I don't really know. Right? Like, like, like John's heart, and you can feel it in these pages and these stories and the way he writes, even the way he refers to himself. When he writes 1 John, you're reading what he says, like, I write this that you may know that you have eternal life. Right? That you can have life in his name. That's what John wants us to know. And so though Jesus rebukes Nicodemus for being a leader who's misled the people, what does he also do? He teaches Nicodemus how to find life. And if you follow the story of Nicodemus, it seems that he got it. Right? It seems that he got it. It seems that, you know, when he's there bringing the spices to the tomb... Joseph of Arimathea is there. You know, put him in my tomb, right? Like you have these, you have these Jewish leaders, who if they weren't, if if they weren't outed before the crucifixion, they were outed at the crucifixion, right? Like they, they, I got, I have to do something, right? Put him in my tomb. Everyone's looking at Joseph of Arimathea, going, oh, "You? Yeah, me, me too, right? He's the Messiah." Nicodemus bringing spices. He's out. Because you do see this in John. You see these people who are curious about Jesus but didn't want to out themselves for fear of the Jews. Right? They, 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 like, and you might have felt that way. I, I don't want to declare that Jesus is Lord because my classmates might make fun of me. I don't, I don't want to step out and say that because, because it, it, it might, might mean something. Or, and this gets a little worse, I don't want to do that because they might find out I'm a Christian and then I actually kind of look bad. Because I certainly have not been following Jesus. <laughs> So now if I say it, like, now I look like an idiot, right? So I don't want to say it because I want to hide my sin. Like, that doesn't work either. Right? You see this moment where you go, I believe. And whatever that brings, it brings. In him is life. So here's what I would say. To be born again, or to be born from above, because it's both, it demands that we look at the person and work of Jesus. Nothing more, nothing less. You don't look at yourself. You don't look at your neighbor. You don't look at your spouse. You don't go, well, they know so much more than me. They're so much kinder than I am. They lead better than I do. Smarter than I am. Dumber than I am. Whatever you say. Eternal life means we look at Jesus. 
And you go, well, hold on. Is it, does, does regeneration come first? Or just like, like, like when does God regenerate? Right, the order of salitu, like the order of salvation? Like, we'll get there. Hopefully never, but if we have to, we'll get there. Right? Like, we'll, we'll, we'll go down that road if you need to. I'm in. But like, that time you come to faith, I'll tell you how it happened to me. This is me. Look at my youth pastor, Steve Korn, one of the best men in the world. Still is in his 50s now. Steve, if you're ever listening, I love you. Right? So one of the best men in the world. I look at him, and this is what I say. I need to change. I had no other words. I, like, I had no other words. Right? Had you said, well, do you trust in Jesus as the Messiah? Is he the Lord of your life? He said, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But what did I say? I need to change. You're telling me it's Jesus. I'm in. Right? I need to change. My, that was enough, right? Because I didn't have to articulate some grandiose statement. They were like, well, take this test first. We need to understand where you are. Now, in seminary, I had to take the TBTK, the test of biblical and theological knowledge. You take it when you come in, you take it when you go out, just to see if the seminary is doing their job. I got better, I don't know how much, and I probably would fail it worse now if I took it. The TBTK. They don't hand you that when you just need salvation. Hold on. Can you outline the Gospel of John, please? Then we'll see. Don't need that. I have a problem, it's my sin, and this guy fixes it. Eternal life comes through Jesus. For the Christian in the room, and I know that is most of us, I would also say this. Living out this kind of now-not-yet eternal life that we get, we get to experience life in Christ now, that also happens through Jesus. He sustains that one too. Not just the first time when you come to faith and you go, okay, I'm good, I'm in, right? Now I'm going to work hard. Well, yeah, you can, but it's still in his power. It's still in his strength, right? So, so even as we read that, we go, well, I'm already saved. I don't know what the hell this applies to me, right? Well, it applies to you because it's still Jesus. Jesus sustains it. He keeps it working. He makes it happen. And the better we know Jesus, the more we delight in the life that we have. It just becomes better. Johnny goes, let's stand for reading the word. And you're like, of course. Why else? Yes, yeah, I'll stand. Right? I'll do a dance. What do, you, like, like, what do we need to do? Like, like I'm in. Right? Because the more I know my Savior, the more beautiful he becomes. And it's not even, like, sometimes it's not even knowing a new thing. It's just realizing a new sin I have and realizing that was already forgiven. Like, that, that's the glorious thing. Oh, he forgives that too. He forgave that. Praise God. Eternal life. Being born again, born from above, demands we look at the work of Jesus. Simply having knowledge of certain facts does not save us. We must believe in the crucified, resurrected Son of God. Then life starts. Then it starts. Right? I have a buddy who goes, it's not the, it, it's not the finish line, it's the starting line. And so often churches are more concerned about getting people to what they think is the finish line, which is their conversion. It's the starting line. We want to get you there. Then let's see, right? Now you're dealing with everything you're going through as one who belongs to the Lord. Totally different, right? It's a game changer. Right? Getting people to the starting line and letting them see Jesus. And go, we'll figure that stuff out. And there's some churches, I tell you, man, they let some people's sins kind of d- dangle for a while, longer than I like it. Right? I, like, longer than I'm comfortable. But they're like, no, we're going to let the Lord work those things out of those people. All right? We'll talk to them about it. We're not going to kick them out because they're young in the faith. They have a crazy background. They're like, right? That you stopped drinking and started smoking. That's okay. Right? Right? Now you're not drunk. Okay. 
I'll roll with it, right? We'll have the next conversation later. And later could be in 35 years. We'll figure it out. Because they just keep staying with people. Trusting God to work out what God's going to work out. And it's awesome. That's why I say, if you're looking for a church, stay here. Because we're not perfect at this, but man, do we want to be better. We want you to know Jesus. We want you to walk in him. We want you to figure out how life works. But it's better to do it with one another than it is to try and go it alone. And so many of us go it alone. And then we're like Nicodemus going to Jesus going, wait a minute, that's not how it works. No, it's not how it works. Come to the Son, have life. 